You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here at the Institute of Catholic Culture Sunday Gospel Reflections. Annie Mitchell, how are you? Father Hezekiah, I'm doing well. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Also, we are here on the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, mm. otherwise known as, oh, you know, it's always An handy. ultimate Sunday before Christ the King. We it are is. on the cusp of New Year's in the Roman Catholic Church anyway. You had yeah, well, at, like the beginning of September, right? Yes, as we have stated many times here. Traditionally, the calendar year, the church year, began at the beginning of September, uh, historically. And therefore, we begin to understand some of these readings and the focus. Like, what are we doing in Jerusalem? The passion narrative and what's going on in Jerusalem in these weeks leading up to Advent. Well, it's actually because Advent, the preparation, began at the beginning of September. So we are in the midst of, from a liturgical cycle, from a reading cycle, yes, Advent, which is always understood, or the Nativity understood as the same mystery as the Second Coming, right? It's God coming to us historically 2,000 years ago, but liturgically now, today, um, and therefore, we look forward to the second coming, which is also understood today as all one reality of God's coming to us, which helps us understand this kind of strange first reading, which is from the book of Proverbs. But before we jump into that, I shouldn't say it's not a strange first reading, but if you don't understand that, you're not really going to get the whole right. wisdom proverbs uh the noble wife thingy that we're going to get here in this text but before we jump into that i do want to say that we are in the midst now of our end of year fundraising drive at the institute of catholic culture if you are a lover of this program well i don't know you know whether you love sunday gospel reflections of the icc i kind of like it i enjoy it if you enjoy it if it's helpful to you if it benefits you and you would like to see more people receiving this deacons there's a lot of deacons by the way that that participate in this and you know glean a few little nuggets for uh for some homilies or some priests uh, or maybe they might it might help you in your spiritual life preparing for sunday we certainly could use your help because while we offer all of this free of charge of course it costs us a lot of money to run the institute of catholic culture we are trying to raise the uh the the uh, uh, a significant amount of funding five hundred thousand dollars before the end of the year uh, to provide for all that we do, all of the speaker stipends, our salaries, and so forth, um, that while we give away all of this at the Institute Free of Charge, it costs us a lot of money to do it. Um, and if you'll stand with us as we make this commitment to you every week, if you'll stand with us at this time, we certainly would appreciate it. We'll have more to talk about that as we get into the into the um, the epistle today um from uh from first thessalonians in which saint paul talks about the gifts we've received and how we're using them um so please consider your part in this mission there's no great you know grantor or whatever it is a big uh, funder making all this happen no it's people like you and i that think hey it's time to get serious about, about faith formation in the church and uh for adults so that the adults can do what we're supposed to do, namely bring the light of Christ to others in our lives, our children, our co-workers, our family members, and so forth. You have to be equipped for the mission that God has given you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the catechetical renewal, as Dr. Pecknold was talking about in, in his letter to, to ICC supporters, it starts right here. 
right here in scripture, right here at the Sunday gospel reflections that we live what Jesus taught us, right? And mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that I have really benefited from with these Sunday gospel reflections is is being able to understand the what it meant then, what it meant to the early church, and then from there can so much better understand what it means for me today rather than just picking it out and and just sort of like taking it out of context and and deciding what it means to me but actually allowing the lord to speak to me through his word has been such a benefit to me and i know it has been to so many people so i really do hope that people will pay that forward so that we can bring things like sunday gospel reflection and all of the programs at the icc to a to an even bigger bigger crowd of uh catholics Amen. who are in need of it well, let's jump in here to the biblical text today. We are going to start with Proverbs chapter 31. Yeah. Uh, Andy, go ahead and give us our all of our references so people can write them down. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about life goals. Proverbs 31, for me as a woman anyway. Proverbs 31 is our first reading, verses 10 through 13, then 19 through 20, then 30 through 31. <laughs> the Whatever. Response... Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of jumping around, but that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all it all fits in the theme. Yes. Psalm 128 is our responsorial psalm for this weekend. Our gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And the epistle, as Father was saying, from St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses one through six. There we have it. Proverbs chapter 31, starting with verse 10. Yes. yes. A good, a good wife, a worthy wife. Here we go. Yeah. I hear this one at weddings a lot, but well, anyway, nice. Here we go. When one finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. Her husband entrusting his heart to her, has an unfailing prize. She brings him good and not evil all the days of her life. She obtains wool and flax and works with loving hands. She puts her hands to the distaff and her fingers ply the spindle. She reaches out her hands to the poor and extends her arms to the needy. Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a reward for her labors and let her works praise her at the city gates. Mm. All right. Yeah. Well, I do want to know why we're talking about wives um, as we approach Advent, but we'll get to that in a minute. Why don't you just um, kind of lay out for us what we need to know about the book of Proverbs? My normal shtick, right? Yeah. Who wrote it and to whom was it written, right? That's exactly. what we want to know. So let's just turn back real quick to the beginning of Proverbs. It's going to tell us right there what we're looking for. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs, are you, are you there? I'm chapter here. 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, that men may know wisdom and instruction and understand words of insight. Receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. That prudence may be given to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The wise man also may hear and increase his learning. And the man of understanding acquires skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here we are. Going back to our theme from last week, which was wisdom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The book of Proverbs traditionally attributed to King Solomon because of the first verse there, the Proverbs of Solomon. Um, and as we looked at last week, um, we were back in first Kings chapter four. So we'll just flip there very quickly. First Kings chapter four, chapter four. Verse, verse 32. That's every lector's problem, by the it way. It is. The microphone at the lectern. 
trying to turn the page. Anyway, exactly. Verse 29 and following. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and largeness of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the so and this guy and that guy and that guy in verse 32. He also uttered 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So he has all, all of these sayings that are attributed to him. And here we pick up then in Proverbs 31, which is part of, of this, this book. But that kind of gives you, I don't know if that's what you're looking for, Solomon. So what, what, look, what's your principle? What are you going to do here now with this information? A text without, without a context is no no text text at all all. so what is the context of the book of proverbs it is the life of king solomon right so in order to really read proverbs for all it's worth before you read it you got to go back and remind yourself of the life of king solomon well the 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 maybe the best place to do that first of all his his father was king David. david right his mother was Bathsheba. Bathsheba. We know that story. Okay. He was tasked in 2 Samuel 7 with building the temple. That was his greatest feat, really, was his the establishment of the temple in Jerusalem. And his greatest downfall has everything to do with this chapter that we're reading. And that's mm-hmm. regarding choosing a wife. Solomon struggled to decide uh, whether the particular woman he had was the right one it seems because in first corinth or first kings chapter 11 we read these words first kings chapter 11 now king solomon loved many foreign women the daughter of pharaoh and moabite ammonite edomite sidian and hittite women From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Not a very wise thing to do. For surely they will make you unwise. They will turn your heart away from after after their gods. Solomon clung to those in love and he had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines i don't know what you need 300 concubines when you have 700 wives but I, it's solomon it's solomon he'll have to answer for that one so and then that's exactly what they did if you keep reading solomon was old uh verse four for when solomon was old his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the lord his god as was the heart of david his father for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and after Milcom, this abomination of the Ammonites, and so forth. All right. So here's what's going on. There's Solomon for you, right? Not very wise. Not yeah. very wise. But the wisdom of Solomon, like the wisdom of, well, most elderly wise men, is a wisdom which is which is gained, which is purified through a life of well in my case stumbling and bumbling not that i've reached the wisdom part yet but yet oftentimes the wise man speaks of his own experience and then tells others hey i've seen this is what i've seen and this is the path forward this is the one to avoid and that that path to avoid is oftentimes one that sadly we as fallen human beings experience and solomon certainly experienced that and so uh, we receive the wisdom of solomon not because solomon was perfect his entire life, but certainly by the time he closed his eyes to this world, much had been learned. And there, that's the book of Proverbs, which is this collection of saints, experience from his, his thing. And, and then chapter 31, which we read yeah. regarding Solomon's experience of women. Yes. And uh, the importance of finding a good wife. Now, we have to understand that um the uh jewish tradition regarding this text chapter 31 i'm going to just flip back there for a minute chapter 31 traditionally was ascribed 
to the wisdom of his mother, mm. Bathsheba, mother of Solomon. Now you'll read in chapter 31, verse 1, the words of Lemuel, king of Masa, which his mother taught him. So these are Proverbs of Lemuel's mother. And whenever you read names, now I don't read Hebrew or, you know, I, you got to talk to my brother about that stuff. But there's an easy practice you can pick up. And that is that oftentimes Hebrew names are a compilation of either Yahweh at the end. You'll see a Yah at the end of a, of a, of a name or El, Elohim. Yeah. Um, and see, Lemuel, Lemuel, the idea here is the one who's dedicated to God, the king who's dedicated to God. And this is the wisdom that his mother gave him saying, son, don't do that like you did in your youth. Go find a good woman. You can see Bathsheba saying this, right? Even her experience, her own personal yeah. experience with David would lend her to, to warn her son in his old age to say, eh, maybe that's not the road that you want to go down, right? Because this is, uh, just hold your hold your hand here in, in Proverbs. Turn back to Proverbs chapter one with me. I know I'm hitting this a lot here. I'm being a little bit heavy handed on this opening thing, but uh but look at verse chapter one, Proverbs chapter one, verse eight. Chapter one, verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction and reject not your mother's teaching for they are a fair garland for your head. Okay. And then I'm going to turn to chapter 31, verse one, the words of Lemuel, king of Masa, which he, his mother taught him. So this is, this is, this is, well, if this is Solomon. This is Solomon reflecting upon what his parents said, what to do and what not to do. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that starts to make a lot of sense uh, when you read the next verse, chapter 31, verse two, what my son, what son of my womb, what son of my vows, give not your strength to women and so forth. So of course, of course, Solomon is the offspring of David and Bathsheba's union, and uh, and then in her in her old age, she then um, teaches her son. One other passage I have to add to this that's important, and that is First Kings chapter two. So I'm going to keep my hand there. I'm going to flip back to First Kings chapter two. This gives us a little bit more of a picture, a little bit more of a of a vision of what's taking place here. Chapter two. Chapter 2, verse 19. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonai, Adonijah. The king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat to his right. There is the origin of this idea of the queen mother. Yes? which we attribute to the Virgin Mary and we do so we do right we do so rightly because this was the this was the practice of the Jewish kings following that of Solomon who had his mother sit to his right hand well why did Solomon have his mother sit at his right hand it's a strange thing a queen mother the queen is the isn't that the wife of the king right. it's the queen mother well, unless Strange. you have like 700 wives, right? There you go. You got 700 wives. Which one's going to sit at your right hand? Solomon, the wise man, said, none of you. <laughs> My mother's sitting here, okay? So this becomes the practice. Wise of, in many, many ways. Yes. And, and therefore, it is carried through then into the kingdom of God. And uh, as we honor the Virgin Mary, who sits to the right of Christ. And this idea of this wisdom of the mother here then in chapter 31. Okay. That's all well and good. Why are we hearing this during Advent or just before Advent? Mm, I think the answer to that question is found for us in our epistle reading, which you don't have to turn there right now, but listen to these words. I'm going to just, I'm going to read it for you just as because we're going to get there, right? But I'm just going to pull one verse out of that epistle reading, which kind of helps us get our theme of this whole of this whole thing, 
which is uh, you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, we have to put this now in the context not only of Solomon's life, but of those reading the wisdom of Solomon in the generations following him. Because we know, going back again, I'm just going to flip back to 1 Kings chapter 11. We know that in chapter 12, Solomon's kingdom falls apart. Right. And the people of God very much reflect upon the, uh, upon the, the, the wisdom of Solomon, the warnings of Solomon in their relationship, not only husband and wife, but bride to the bridegroom, meaning Israel to, to Yahweh, to, to, yeah. to God. And that relationship between God and his people is constantly spoken of in the prophets uh, of Israel being the bride of God, but becoming the harlot, becoming the one who goes after other gods. And the root of that problem, of course, is Solomon's life. It's, you know, it's like Annie, it's like Adam and Eve, their, their divided heart. Okay, they had two children, and those children are an incarnation of their divided heart, right? Cain and Abel. It's in a similar way, Solomon's sins in uh, collecting wives—I mean, that's basically what he was doing—as uh, trophies. His sins, which led led him not only to this kind of impurity of the, of life but ultimately to an impurity of worship. Yeah, as his heart was drawn away to other gods. And that reality becomes an incarnation in the life of God's people who then follow in his footsteps, hearing his words, but not following the law, right? Hearing his words, but not living out that calling. So the proverb become for the people of Israel who find themselves in that position of the harlot, um, uh, reflecting on Solomon's words and saying, we want to restore our relationship with God. And so this becomes a catechesis for God's people in the time, in a time of dif difficulty, in a time of separation, in a time in which they want to come back to their true husband, that is the Lord, and yet they find themselves worshiping false gods. And there gives you that context, which was your question, why right now are we reading this? Yeah, Because the church is saying to us, get your hearts ready. The Lord is going to come in the most unsuspecting, maybe of times, in the most unsuspecting ways. And I was just this past week in the Byzantine lectionary, we were reading the parable of the Good Samaritan, which the fathers tell us is the, 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 that this is the Good Samaritan is Christ, yeah. who comes to us. As this, as the Good Samaritan came in the midst of the Jews, and finds this guy laying bloody on the side. Right, the Good Samaritan is Christ. He comes to us from a foreign place, Samaria, heaven. Right, he comes to us from this foreign place, and he, and he comes in the most unsuspecting clothes. A Samaritan? Are you kidding me? Right. And so, um, so the Lord comes to us in this way, in a, in a similar way, the church is saying, "Hey, get ready. The Lord is coming." And he seeks a bride prepared. And that's the time of Advent. It is a time of preparation. Maybe we say more about that as we move into our gospel reading. But that's that's it. Any other questions about Proverbs, Annie? No, I think we can um we can transition to the responsorial psalm, which um I mean, really kind of fits in with these last couple of lines about charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, and then Blessed are those who fear the Lord is our response this weekend. Right. And and so and so going back to Proverbs chapter one, verse seven and eight, talking about what that fear of the Lord looks like. It's the it's the wise man, right, who directs his life not according to his own desires, but according to the ways of the Lord, right? According to wisdom, which comes from God, according to the word of God, as we talked about last week. Yeah. And notice as this responsorial psalm continues on, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Okay. So, and, and again, as we're talking about the fear of the Lord, maybe we need to just go back there for a second to Proverbs chapter one, 
just to remind ourselves because we have a difficulty today understanding exactly what's being talked about here as the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fear of the Lord and wisdom are brought together here. You see, it's that deference to the word of God in my life, that humility to the word of God in my life that is required. But the fool says, no, the fool directs his own life, right? He has himself as a measure. Uh, instead of the Lord as the measure, as the wisdom of God as the director of his life. So so there you have it. And then and then the blessings which come. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your house, your children like olive plants around your table. In other words, those who make the ways of the Lord their ways will find the blessings of the Lord, which only can come from the Lord. Hello. <laughs> Right. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. So um so so there you are. Saint Theodore of Sire says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord. The inspired word declared blessed, not the one from Abraham's stock or from Israel's seed, but the person adorned with the fear of God. Blessed Peter also says this in the book of Acts. In truth, I grasp the fact that God shows no partiality, but in every nation the person fearing him. Performing righteousness is acceptable to him. The inspired word also gives a glimpse of the character of the fear of God, adding those walking in his ways. Not everyone saying to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one doing the will of my father who is in heaven. So it is a tip, it is typical of those fearing the Lord, not to stray from the ways of God, but to travel in them without fail. And now we can turn to the gospel. We can learn of a man who's going on a journey, yes, and, and how the ways of the Lord are, are lived out in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, gospel of Matthew chapter 25, I believe it is, Annie. Indeed, it is chapter 25, and we're starting with verse 14 this week, Father. Okay, Matthew 25. Where did we, just so I can remember here, Annie, where did we leave off last, last, um, Oh, just prior to that. Just so right last there. week we were in Matthew 25 verses uh, 1 through 13. In which we the heard the, the, of the 10 virgins. And the lamps, lamps. which were not full. Right. So I was going to ask you, Annie, here at the beginning, before we even begin, let us conclude last week's Bible study yes. by asking you to get out your oil lamp. Because oh, I have to go upstairs and get it. I took it upstairs because no. it started to work. Hold on. Let me tell you, we're <sighs> using it during our family prayer time. We're lighting. We light this candles during family prayer time. And I brought up my oil lamp and I was telling the kids about the whole thing, about how we need to trim it and we need yes. to make sure that it's got enough oil and we got to put it up just enough. And I was still a modernist with my barbecue lighter because that's all we have. But, you know, I, I was doing my best. You know, Annie, we won't give you a hard time for not having your oil lamp prepared. Well, what here, I'll show you. I think um, I have I have a picture that I No, can... go get it. We're going to we're going to do we're going to be merciful as the Lord is merciful. <laughs> and we are going to wait until the fullness of time when Annie has her lamp ready. For right. the coming of the bridegroom. Okay. Annie, right. we're going to take a break. We're going to pause this and come back. Go. I will be right back. Okay. We're back. And we've got an olive oil. I got it here. Okay. That, what did I tell you? Vegetable oil or olive oil? This is vegetable oil. Okay. So, guys, here's just a, a little thing. Because I think this is a good lesson, right? We're uh, we're learning. So, is it's thinner. And so, you could do like a, like a light olive oil. Like when in the church, we burn olive oil. Oh, but that's because... Or, you know, I showed it last week. It's in the church. I didn't bring it back. But that little can container, it's kind of open on the top. And the wick is just kind of sitting in there. You've seen, we'll p pull up a picture here of these ancient, um, these old, you know, old world oil lamps. They're these little clay things. See this with the, see how the opening there is just kind of like, a, it's like a little pitcher, mm -hmm. right? You could pour out of it. And that wick just lays down in there. And you light it and it's just gently, it's just sucking that up and it's kind of wide open. And so your thicker oil is okay. In your case, Annie, now we're going to look at yours. In your case, your opening is small, which is why it wouldn't light last week because it took right. 
a lot to suck up into that wick. Yeah. But after a few hours, show us what happened. Okay, I got my my little thing here. Your wick trimmer. Trim my wick. So, so you're all fresh and ready to go. And talk about modernist. Look at this thing that my husband bought. It's like oh, that is modernism. You can like get into a candle if you need to. I just yeah, thought people terrible. might be entertained for that. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. Light for me. Okay, here we go. Look at that. It's lit. Look at that. Now you can back that wick off a little bit so okay. that you don't end up with so much soot coming off of it. Yeah, and you yeah. can get it down to just enough to just give the light that you need. It's not going to take too much oil, but it's there. You know, light your way. And that, my friends, is an oil lamp. You know, you're not going to get this. I don't care where you go. No one's pulling out the oil lamp for the parable of the 10 virgins. I tell you what, man. You know, only at the ICC. That's worth the price of admission to SGR. That is worth the price. <laughs> we have no price of admission. Okay. Here we are. Now, right. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Yes. We're picking up where we left off. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Yes. When the bridegroom is going to come to his bride, and, and will he find a woman prepared? Yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm thinking of Proverbs. I'm thinking of Solomon. Okay. And here we go. Verse 14. Yes. Jesus told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately, the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and scattering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will grow rich. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and throw this useless servant into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, mm -hmm. let's keep, I know what your first question is going to be, Annie, and that is give us the context of what's going on. Well, in this case, you can just read the next verse because we've been doing context, context on both sides of this thing about, about what's transpiring uh, in Jerusalem. He's The Lord is coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast right? He's, uh, he's made his way into the temple. Everybody's asking, is he the Messiah? And, and of course that means, is he the King, right? Is he the guy who's going to free us from the Romans? And now he gets in this, this big contest with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And now we're going to read the next verse. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with them, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
So he's talking about he's talking about the king. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate one from the other, the shepherd from the sheep, from the goats. And he'll place one on, it, one on that side, okay? And then I'm going to come down, verse 41. Then he will say to those in his left hand, depart from me, you you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his and his angels. Verse 46, and they will go away into eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. You just got to put that back then in the context of uh, reading verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And then coming back, verse uh, chapter 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Verse 27. For as lightning comes from east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Chapter 23, verse 36. Truly, I say to you, all, all of this will come upon this generation. Okay, look at verse 38. Behold, your house is forsaken, desolate. For I will tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the king. So, do you see this thing? Jesus comes to Jerusalem and they're all saying, Is this, is it it? Is it time? Is it now? Right? That's the context that we need to read in this, at least on a kind of first initial level. What Jesus is talking about, these 10 virgins, about the, the talents that are given. Who's the foolish? Who's the unwise servant? Who's the wicked servant? Well, it's the Pharisees. They're standing right there. They've been given everything. They're the smart guys. They've got, they're living the high life. They've been, God's bestowed upon them every possible honor. And yet, and yet they've buried it in the ground. You worthless bums, you hypocrites, you empty tombs. He just went over all of this in chapter 23 right? And now Jesus turned to the crowds because the crowds are also separated, yes, from those that have actually come and entered into the ministry of the Lord and those who have stood idly by wasting the opportunity that God gave them. The time is near. The bridegroom is coming. The king is entering in. What's he going to find? And now, Annie, going back to your uh, question and uh, early on, so why now? Well, because God is coming in the flesh. He's going to be born in the Virgin Mary. He's going to find the people prepared. Now, we can also apply this to the early church. We can also apply this to, to our life. Yes, easily now. It's not hard to interpret this parable and these parables at, at this time in the, in, in the Gospel of Matthew in its historical context. And once you have that, then you, you have the easy application to the early church or the easy application of the church today and what the church is calling us to as to whether we are a prepared bride. Yeah, whether the whether the bride of God, the church, is prepared. I'm gonna go look, look, I'm gonna go back to I just saw this. Look, this is what Origin says. The text, speaking of Proverbs, speaks of the church as a virtuous soul possessing the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. The church possesses knowledges of the law. The life as the word, for she herself is the church who, who who came out of the rib of Christ and was found by her bridegroom to be a woman of sound mind and strength. And this is how the fathers interpret these texts and applying them to the church. But if you had that initial context, you know, Jesus is the bridegroom. And what's he going to find when he comes into Jerusalem? Unfortunately, he's going to find a harlot. Yeah. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, hypocrites. And then he's going to turn and he's going to find a bride prepared among the Gentiles. Those who actually received the gift of God and did something with it. And that's the church that then then can receive that word today. Okay. So there's you go. Your initial context, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, can you talk about what i mean well you always talk about how we need to to look at these as as christocentric as as theocentric and i think it's really easy to to kind of look at this in in you know i want to apply it to my own life right like yeah. how many talents has the lord given me and what am i doing with it am i right. burying it in the ground am i what am i how am i going out and and getting you know double for for my master but 
how do I, how do I make this about God instead of about me? Well, it's, it's the, first of all, it's the Lord who gives the talents, right? And I think that's yeah. the first, first thing we have to remember always about the gift in our life um, is that the Lord has given everything necessary to his bride. That is the church. That's us. Um, and, and it's, it's the Lord who gives the harvest, if you will, the right, that multiplies the talents right within us, if we allow him to do so notice now the, 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 he goes on a journey, right? And now we can start to apply this because remember the, this is how the fathers of the church tend to apply these texts is that they say, wait a minute, this text of the gospel of Matthew, while it relates what Jesus said in Jerusalem, it was written by Matthew to the early Christian community. Yeah. And and this is a super cool application and interpretation of this text, which is not only against the Pharisees and Sadducees and against the lazy people in the crowd that actually haven't joined in with Christ, but is a message to the early church. Mm. Who's the one that goes on the journey? It's the Lord. Yeah. He's ascended into heaven and they are expecting his return. Yeah. Right. The light lightning shining from the east and the west. The early churches, as we should be in, ex, in a, a church in expectation, prepared for, ready for the return of the Lord, never surprised when he comes. And then I think these actually the text and we might actually if I make this step now, it's going to cut this Bible study short, but I'm going to be merciful on everybody today. I have no idea how long this Bible study has taken, but I'm going to actually turn us. And if we want to go back to the gospel, we can. But I think it's a perfect moment in which we can we can apply this gospel text to that of the life of the early church by going to our epistle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1. But as to the times and the seasons, it's First Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first two verses, Andy. I'm going to stop. And if you want to go back and we'll read through the whole text, and that's fine. But you might want to go back to the gospel. I don't know. But at least I think this, these verses are critically important. But as to the times and the seasons, brethren, because they're all asking, when's he going to come? And remember, we were just looking at this. Well, what about those, you know, my brother Johnny who died last week? What's going to happen with him? I mean, is bodies in the ground now how should i understand what's going to happen they're they're looking in expectation but as the times and the seasons brother you have no need for anything written anything written to you for you yourselves know well that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night do you see this so so we can apply this yes historically to jesus is coming into jerusalem we can then uh, uh, understand liturgically with a nativity coming but we can also understand it in its in its in the gospel's history of being written to the early church, saying to the Thessalonians, be prepared. Like the wise virgins, the five wise virgins, be prepared. Don't be found idle. Don't be caught with your lamp empty and your oil filler barely able to fill it up. Annie, I know. I went out and bought more vegetable oil last week. By the way, <laughs> be I got a, a full thing. <laughs> and 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 maybe we can go on because this this text is going to just say basically what I want to say in first sense. Like sure. Annie, is there anything else you wanted just before we're done with the with the gospels? Is there anything else you wanted to grab out of here? I know we're, I'm not saying saying much. Of the church fathers speak of of course, interpreting this text in, in so many beautiful ways. For example, the guy buries his talents in the ground. Yeah. I think I I have it over here. It was Pope. I think it's Pope St. Gregory the Great um, says, yes, there is. But the person who received one talent went away, dug in the earth and hid his master's money. Hiding a talent in the earth means employing one's ability in earthly affairs. So you oh. see how he starts to interpret this. You can yeah. go in and begin now. You, you don't have to have the church fathers giving you everything. You can start to interpret this on this level, right? Because and everything we have received in this life is a gift from God to be used for a purpose. Those gifts we received are good only if they are employed for their proper end, right? 
money, you know, the, the Lord doesn't, isn't here to condemn wealth. I mean, he talks about the rich and the temptations. So he's not here to condemn wealth. In fact, poverty itself, remember the story of Lazarus and, and, and the rich man, right? It, it's not a story so much about the condemnation of wealth as the misuse of the gifts that the rich man had. He would receive those gifts for the sake of Lazarus. And yet he was using them on himself. And remember, Lazarus laid at his door. I always love that image. He laid at his door. That means the rich man had to literally like step over Lazarus every time he walked in and out of his house. Every time he passed by his door, it was Lazarus that was there. And yet, and yet he did not employ this. He buried his talents, if you will, in earthly affairs. And while he may have prospered upon the earth, his retirement package was left empty. <laughs> and so in a, in, in a similar in a similar way here, we can interpret this text as, you know, as a calling for us to be constantly ready. But what does that mean to be ready? It means to have received the gifts of God through our holy baptism, which helps us understand, enlightens our understanding of our purpose of our life, to employ those gifts that we have received in the service of the Lord. Be found we want our master to find us with our hands at work, right? With our oil lamps filled, with our, our wick trimmed, at, at doing the work of the Lord, right? When the second coming happens, when you close your eyes to this world, say like Mother Teresa. And there's a woman, when the Lord came for her, he found her hard at work. He found, he found her worn out for the work of the Lord, yeah? Um, and that's how he wants to find us. So I think I cut you off, Annie, but should we look at this first Thessalonians chapter five? Yes, let's please do so. Let's go Shall ahead I and start and, from the beginning in the lectionary. Yeah, let's go ahead and read through it. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not going to say much because we've already said it, but go ahead. I've got a quote right. here from Pope St. Leo the Great. Oh, nice. Perfect. Okay, here we go. Concerning times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief at night. When people are saying peace and security, then sudden disaster comes upon them, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness for that day to overtake you like a thief. For all of you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober you know i just i i said i was going to say anything but i can't control myself right now That's <laughs> because it's it's this is all advent stuff yeah you know and it's such a, a a powerful calling for us to get ready uh we've now entered into that 40-day period um um in fact depending on when you're doing this study um i do believe uh the counting of the 40 days this 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 Wednesday, so November fifteenth. If you're re if you're receiving this on a Wednesday, uh, then then this is the beginning of the forty day preparation. You say, what forty day preparation, Father has guys? Well, it's the traditional forty day preparation uh, uh, in, uh, for Christmas, uh, much like Lent. Yeah, it's a uh, it's our winter Lent in a time in which we do not engage in what I told my community this past Sunday. Christians don't get shacked up before marriage and they don't have Christmas parties before Christmas. Okay. <laughs> we, we just don't do that. Okay. Yeah, this comparison. is a time. Yeah. This, this is a time of preparation to make sure the Lord finds us. He's coming. You are not in the darkness. The Lord, the Lord's coming. And either you're going to be ready on Christmas for the Lord to be born in your heart, for the Lord to be present in your family, or you're not. And it's not going to happen on Christmas Eve night when you can't find your olive oil to fill your fill your uh, your your oil lamp, right? Now is the time to get yourself prepared. So the Lord finds us. Think of Mother Teresa's hands. I can see them. I can see them, brown and wrinkled and worn out. The fine. The Lord finds us at, at His work. And what is that? What is that work? Look, I, I said I was I was we were gonna done with with the gospel. We got to go back there, Matthew chapter twenty five, because the Lord gives it to us right here in the same chapter, Matthew chapter twenty five. I just need I just need to look at one verse. 
verse 35, chapter 25, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. This is the work that the Lord invites us to engage in. You know, the, the world knows because we're, we live very much, we are in a post-Christian world, but that post-Christian world is very much influenced from the world that was Christian. We know that this is a time for charity. It's a time to look to those who are in need and to provide for those needs. So I am not ashamed at all. In fact, I'm proud to do so, to recall what we said at the beginning of our study, to invite you to this ministry, because it's not just about being physically clothed it's a matter of clothing people with the grace of god that's the mission of the institute of catholic culture that we can reach out to others to invite them into their relationship with the lord that they're so hungry for they're starving for it and to be able to be there and and to feed them with dr cutterback and dr Papino and uh father scalia father sebastian uh you know all of these great these great teachers to feed them in a way that they're so hungry um, so that the Lord finds us at work when he comes. Let's I'll, I'll conclude with Pope St. Leo the Great. Wherefore, let us honor this sacred day, the day on which the author of our salvation appeared, whom the wise men revered as an infant in his crib. Let us worship as all-powerful in heaven, just as they offer to the Lord mystical kinds of gifts from their treasures. Let us bring forth from our hearts things that are worthy of God. Although he himself bestows all good things, he nevertheless asks for the fruit of our effort. For the kingdom of heaven comes not to those who sleep, but to those who work and watch according to the Lord's command. If we do not render his gifts ineffective, we may deserve to receive what he promised through the very things which he has given. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.